Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Tefera Talk. I'm Melissa Studdard, and this is the Blog Talk Radio Show for Teferis, a journal of spiritual literature, where our goal is to promote peace in the individual and in the world through writing. We're thrilled that you've joined us tonight, and we invite you to also join our global online writing community at www.teferisjournal.com. There you can post your writings, interact with other members, and subscribe to Teferit Journal. As well, we'd like to extend a special invitation from Hay House for Wayne Dyer's Writing from Your Soul Workshop in Denver, Colorado, April 27th to 28th. To learn more, see the event listing at the Teferit website. Tonight's guest is author, poet, teacher, and painter, Natalie Goldberg. We'll be talking about her forthcoming book, The True Secret of Writing, which will be released tomorrow, March 19th. Goldberg is the author of the seminal writing books, Writing Down the Bones, Wild Mind, Thunder and Lightning, and Old Friend from Far Away, which together with her life-changing workshops have rent open the landscape of creativity and inspired a revolution in the practice of writing in this country. Goldberg's own gorgeous creative works include the novel Banana Rose, the memoirs Long Quiet Highway and The Great Failure, and the painting and poetry books Living Color, Top of My Lungs, and Chicken and in Love. Goldberg's books have sold millions of copies worldwide, and her extraordinary teaching methods have drawn students from across the globe. The True Secret of Writing is the capstone to four decades of Goldberg's teachings and reveals newly developed methods not found in her previous books. Of The True Secret of Writing, Noah Levine states, Natalie Goldberg has done the unthinkable. She has shared the secret teaching. The Buddhas of time and memorial are rejoicing, and the literary bodhisattvas are smiling in silent approval. Read this book, then write a revolutionary manifesto. Natalie? Yes. Hi. Hi. How are you? Okay. It's wonderful to hear your voice again and have you on the air. And I'm really, really happy to be talking with you now. And I would love to start with what's fundamental to the core of your teachings, and that is practice as a method of awakening, not just in traditional meditation, but in life and writing, too. So I wanted to see if you can talk about how you came to this and how it's deepened and developed for you over the years. Oh, that's a great question. And it's nice to have you ask it, Melissa, because you've studied with me. And I um, know. <laughs> so I think that you have an understanding of what I'm doing. Well, maybe I'll start simply that in 1986, when Writing Down the Bones came out, I gave a method of a way to write, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I broke a paradigm of the way writing is seen in this country. I said, make it a practice. And the interesting thing is nobody asked me, well, what a, on what authority are you saying this? You never took a writing class, you have no books out, and yet everybody followed me. And in... um 1992, I tried to show in my memoir 
um, a long, quiet highway where I was coming from, where that idea of practice came from, you know, that I'd been studying Zen intensely for 12 years before I wrote Writing Down the Bones. But I told people it wasn't quite telling them what to do. What they liked about Writing Down the Bones was I told them exactly what to do so they could write. So in this book, The True Secret of Writing, I actually created the whole practice as if I took what was behind me in writing down the bones and put put it forward and I say to you, this is what you do so that writing can become a practice. And the subtitle to the true secret of writing is connecting life with language. So actually connecting so it's not just something you fill in your little notebook, but it can inform and open your whole life. So that's different what practice than, you know, I am going to write the great American novel. I try five times and then I quit and never write again. <laughs> Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that I love in the book, too, is that you make this distinction now between practicing in order to achieve and perfect as opposed to practicing to deepen and grow, right? Yes, exactly. You know, that we have this um, saying, uh, practice makes perfect. Well, no, practice, <laughs> no, practice makes you have to face your life because if you keep showing up, everything will come up, all your resistances, your desire, everything. And what you learn to do is just evenly continue. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk about the title, too, The True Secret of Writing. And you said in the book that it's kind of tongue-in-cheek and it's also clearly rooted in anecdote. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what the title means to you. Well, yeah, there are two levels to it. One level is... You know, a few times, and maybe when you were there, I don't know if it ever happened, but sometimes for fun, when I'm in a certain mood, a student will come in late to class, and especially if it's a student I know is very eager, I'll say to them, oh, no, Magdalene, I'm so sorry you came late. Just a moment ago, I told the true secret of writing, and missed it. And it only comes to me five or every five or ten years. I can't repeat it. I'm so sorry. And what I'm really <laughs> saying is, don't. This is your time. Don't be late. Come on time. Get there. So that's one level. And uh, the other level I want to say is, no one has the true secret of anything forever. And if they do. Run for the hills. It's very dangerous. You know, it's like some prophet saying, I am the true prophet. Only follow me. And look what's happened. Look what happens with that. Wars, aggression, great suffering. So given all that, I'll tell you the true secret of writing. I think um, I know what's coming. <laughs> what do you think it is? Should I ask you? I yeah, I think you're going to say shut up and write. Good girl. <laughs> shut up and write. 
drop the pen and go. Now, of course, many things will come up when you want to pick up the pen and go. You'll get a headache. You'll realize you're hungry. You have to take a nap. You have to go to your therapist to discuss why you can't write. You have to set up a beautiful studio. But I'm saying right in the middle of all of that, cut through, pick up the pen, and write. If you want to write, that's the austere, basic, true thing. You know, um, recently I was interviewed by someone, but it turned out she had a women and food show. You know, so I don't know what I was doing on there. So she said to me, well... What would you give people um, for a good diet? <laughs> it was ridiculous. I don't know anything about dieting. So I said, well, if I listen to what I know from writing, the true secret of writing, then I would apply it to dieting because in the truth, it's about everything. Um, stop eating so much. If you want to <laughs> lose weight, stop eating so much. Now, that's very simple and obvious and real, but it's very hard because, again, all kinds of things come up. But I like chocolate cake, but I'm upset, <laughs> so I need to eat. But, you know, do you know what I'm saying? So oh. the solution is often very clear and austere, but not so easy to follow through regularly. Wonderful. That's why I've have people write together because it's support and it becomes a communal act. You're not just alone doing it. Yes, yes. And actually that relates to something that I wanted to ask you about people coming together in a silent retreat and writing together and being in silence like that. What have you observed that that brings up that's different from being at a retreat that's not silent? Well, uh, just can you imagine a group of people being together for a week in silence? Just think about that. Really, what relief. Because we don't shut up. We don't stop talking. And really, in order to write, you've got to put the words on the page not in the air as much. What happens is we often dissipate all our energy by talking so much rather than letting it compost in our belly and then writing it. So in a silent retreat, in a way, it builds inside you. So when we say go, write, it just pours out. And then we can read um, without comment so you get to hear each other's writing, and you get very deeply close. Not because we've talked so much, but we've experienced each other on another layer. Mm-hmm. I agree, and um, I like there was a phrase in the book, The True Secret of Writing, you called it the background of silence. And I really like that. It, it creates an entire feeling and mood. Um, that's completely different, and and I felt it in the book too. When I was reading the book, I was like, my gosh, I can practically smell the pignon. I mean, I I felt like I was there, I was back. But, oh, uh, great! That makes me happy. It. Oh, yeah, yeah, and in a way, when you're silent, 
you take in. Because really, I've always said that writing is 90% listening. And if you listen deeply enough, you know, you're receiving. And that's really what writing is. It's receiving things. And so um, when you're silent, you get a chance to see and feel and take in the smell of pignon. You get to take in things. That's right. That's right. Do you have any advice for someone who's not at a silent retreat for cultivating that kind of silence in their life in a way that will strengthen their writing? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, shut up. <laughs> I'm making a joke. But, you know, say, actually, say for an hour. Put aside an hour in your day, and maybe you can't do it every day, but during the week, have a few times during the week and actually put it in your schedule where you don't talk, where maybe you sit and write or not even sit and write, take a slow walk, but you don't talk. I know that's a phenomena in our country, Um you know, when my father first heard I was doing silent retreats, he would say, oh, your mother could never do that. And I said, oh, but you could, Daddy, huh? And, um, you know, it's a phenomena because we're such a noisy country. But I think people are longing for it. You can also, like, um, people got together and did writing practice in a cafe. You can meet with people and be silent. Can you imagine meet? Oh, as a matter of fact, my friend Katie Arnold and I meet now. It's been two and a half years. We meet once a week and go on an hour and a half hike in silence. And it's gotten so, why do we keep it up so much? Because it's not even the hiking. We're starving for the silence. Just some time when I could be with Pardon? Oh, I was just saying, and it's different together than being alone and being silent. Yes, right? it's, yeah. it's, there's real support in it. And yet, there's depth. And Katie and I have become very close because of it. We share something sort of below the surface where we can feel each other on another level. Of course, at first, it's very shy. I mean, why do we immediately when we go to a party we have a drink because we feel shy we feel embarrassed to just be there socially but if we can bear that you know awkwardness for like 20 minutes you actually sink into another place with each other yeah. a more real honest place yes yes that's great um i love the way you make things simple I know you just said that they're simple and they're difficult to accomplish. <laughs> yeah. But the idea of just scheduling it, right? Just, okay, you want to be silent? Do you want to bring that into your life? Schedule it. It's, it's yeah, so I mean, simple it's, and clear, it sounds but I never absurd. But, yeah, but and sometimes you just have to schedule things. I That's found awesome. myself lately, I'm just too busy. So I said, okay, Nat, two hours a day, which is extreme, I think, do nothing, just lie on the couch. And um, that's been hard. It's probably <laughs> the hardest thing I've ever done. 
But I really wanted to have some time where I did nothing and see what would come up. And did you schedule that? Yeah, yeah. I would look at each day. You know, I, I've just finished another book, so I, I have some free time. So each day I'd look and see what part of the day I could put in two hours. Usually my life is way too busy to do that. But I thought I'm going to take advantage of it. And so um, for a few weeks I did that. It was very hard, actually. A few days I had to skip. You know, I'd look and I'd say, oh, from four to six, I don't, I don't really have anything to do. I could just do nothing. Mm. <laughs> so I scheduled doing nothing. Well, and you know, it says a lot about our priorities as a culture and as human beings that we have a tendency to schedule things that we have to do, right? But what you keep making me realize is that why don't we schedule the things that are important to us, the things that we really want to do, and then schedule everything else around that. Oh, you know, Melissa, that's such a great insight. You're completely right. Why do we make the other things so important and put them in and we don't schedule the things that really matter to us that would feed our life? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm learning from you. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) well, I just learned it from you. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Well, I wanted to ask you a question. This one's a little difficult, so if you don't feel like going into it, we can move on to something else. But I noticed that death is really, really ever-present in the true secret of writing, and not just looming outside the window, but it's got its head in the door. (laughs) And Uh I'm wondering why this motif is so important to this particular book. What what's the motif? Death. What? Death. Oh, death. death. Well, the idea of death is yeah. I just see it woven all through the book in so many different ways, and it feels absolutely essential to the book. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad it is. And I didn't. You know, sometimes you write a book and then you're not sure what you did, but. Um, <laughs> But really, what's the other side of life but death? What's the other side of talking but silence? And I think that we need to not have a relationship with death, but be aware that it's there and that each one of us will die. And in a way, that's not depressing. It's the tr- It's a truth. It's a deep truth. Not something to run from but something actually to enlighten our life. We're not here forever. So what do we want to do? And how can we help? How can we help in this world of suffering? Also, I think the knowledge of death gives um, gives practice uh, a shadow, but a good shadow. You know, like light can't exist without darkness. So I think it makes things alive. Now, on a personal level, I am 65. I'm not, you know, I might have another 20 years. But the truth is, whether I have 20 years or 30 years, I will die. And as I get older, I'm aware of that. And I'm also aware of my need and urgency 
to share this practice and to get it down clearly enough so students can follow it, that people can follow it, that there's a record. Because I can't, you know, there will be some day when I won't be there to say, class, pick up your pens. (laughs) You know, there'll be an end to it. There are a lot of people crying right now hearing you say that. (laughs) Oh, I really love everyone, and, you know, it's just the truth. And it's also a way of telling people, come on now, get serious. You know, I'm not here forever, and either are you. And, you know, I'm hoping that some of my students are starting to teach. I want them to pass it on, that you can only rely on me. My teacher died 23 years ago my Zen teacher, and um, it's taken me a very long time to accept it, really. But it's the truth. Mm. Well, Not the only truth, but one of them. You know, the book is actually so generous about sharing the details of the silent retreats, and you even included the structure as you modeled it after Zen retreats and um, all kinds of Stories and I even recognized myself in there a little bit. Yes, <laughs> the one about the wind. Yes, about the wind. Yes, that's I you. Walked. I drew. A little yeah, you know what? I realized I in a lot of my other books, I wrote a lot about um, famous people, you know, great writers and people uh, I had known, great Zen teachers. In this book, I suddenly realized I'm going to write about my students. They're great. Oh, people. that's and awesome. Also, what went on? They were right, you know, what goes on in those classes? Yeah. In those retreats. Yeah. Mm, how wonderful. Well, um, on the topic of structure, I wanted to ask you if you can talk about what there is to be gained as a writer from participating in this sort of structure that you've laid out for the retreat. Oh, okay. Um my God. Well, first of all, we talked about the silence, but also um, that there's sitting and walking and writing. That writing, that you know, most people still have a desire to write when they think of Natalie Goldberg and they come to me, but writing comes from the big life. Now, not a big life, which means that you run to Paris. It means the big life of stopping and receiving and taking in and recognizing we're here. And so everything supports the moment that you write. And really the writing supports the moments you don't write. And that's why the subtitle, Connecting Life with Language. You know, one thing that really stood out to me out of everything in the whole book was the story about your student who died. Gwen. Right. And it was so beautiful the way you wrote it. I don't know if you want me to actually say what you said because people might want to just read it and discover it in the reading. But what I saw was that in her death, the structure that had been provided um, actually helped her through that and through writing to the end and getting her novel done. And it was just really amazing to read about. Oh, good. Yes, Gwen. Um, 
that was a she was really my first student who I knew well, who had practiced with me for many years, who died. And I really went through it. And, um, you know, I recorded it, and I wanted to, and I'm glad it came through. And, yes, in the end, writing practice really held up her life. You know, I say we're going to go out writing. You know, this is a practice for your whole life. It's really a spiritual practice. But I didn't, you know, I say it, but I don't know if people will do it. I don't know if I'll do it. And sure enough, she did it right till the end. And it really turned her life around, even in her dying. Yes, yes, it was amazing. And also, the when you talk about going out writing, um, I actually posted a quote earlier today from the last words of Buddha, all things that manifest must pass, continue on with vigor. Oh, yeah. Um, that came from your book, and, and I loved how you told about all of the last poems and the last words of, of these writers and Zen masters. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm, I've always been interested in that. You know, what? when you're facing death, what will you say? What do you think? Yeah. I often think about that. So there you are. Buddha is saying it. You know, all that is born must pass away, but continue on with vigor. Mm. So it's not just about death, it's about life. It is. Go right into that life and enjoy it. It is. And, I, you know, the first time I looked at it, I only saw it the way I wanted to see it, which was um, that I will die, and knowing that I will die, I still must continue on with vigor. But the second time I looked at it, I saw it as, He's dying, and he's telling his disciples to continue on with vigor, vigor, although he's dying, right? Yes, yes. So that was interesting. Yeah, and he's also giving a teaching. Yeah, exactly. He's giving a teaching. Yes, we all pass away. Continue with vigor. Yeah, Mm -hmm. beautiful, Melissa. really is. Um, So... It's very clear from your book and from talking to you how deeply you care for your students. And I wanted to ask, how has working with students impacted your own practice? Oh, it's been so important because it keeps it alive for me. Sometimes if I don't want to do it, I think, well, it's not for you, Natalie. It's for your students. It's not, And that's true... Even if I didn't have students, you know, this life isn't just for you. You know, it's sort of like, do you remember me talking about telling my my true secret, which was I don't really like dogs that much? Yeah. And there are these four chihuahuas next door that bark all the time. How can I deal with them? Well, the way I deal with it is, Natalie, you're not the center of the universe, they have a right to exist, too. And that really changes the orientation. So when I'm practicing, if I'm just doing it for myself and me, 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 in some ways it's too hard. But if I think I'm doing it for all sentient beings or doing it for the trees and the sky and and my students and for me understanding more deeply so I can share it, 
then, um, you know, it works a lot better. You know who I was talking to earlier today? This is kind of funny. Um, and I'm trying to remember which book it was. Okay, Jim Perlman. You oh, know, my God. You were, you were interviewing him? No, no, just chatting. And he told me that he published your first book, yes. which was Sick and End in Love. And so I asked him, I said, if if you have anything that you want me to ask her or tell me, and I'll ask her tonight. And he said that he wanted to know if that he wonders if what Jewishness you recognize that you might still carry around with you, hand in hand, perhaps with your Buddhist philosophies. Oh, yeah, Jim Perlman and I used to play tennis together, and he published <laughs> "Chicken and Love," my first book of poetry. Um, I, I'm always a Jew. I, you know. <laughs> Entered Zen as a Jew, and I I see, I I live as a Jew, not so much religiously, but I have a Jewish heart, and I um, even as I'm talking to you, I'm gesturing with my hands, <laughs> and that somehow feels very Jewish. You can't separate yourself. If you were brought up Catholic or Episcopalian, you can't get rid of it. Even if you run from it, we're completely soaked in these things. So instead, what we can do is honor it and step forward into whatever life we choose. Mm, wonderful. Thank you. Um, I wanted to, This question is kind of complex, but I think I can phrase it in a way that <laughs> will convey what I mean. It's In the chapter of the blue chair, you talk about dropping the word develop and replacing it with the phrase add texture, detail, color. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. So I would love for you to tell us what this is all about and what can be accomplished by making these kinds of intentional shifts in thinking. Uh, Well, um, you're referring to the fact that um, when a student sometimes hears, oh, you should develop that, uh, they find themselves cringing, and they end up never doing it. But, and because we've had that word develop, you know, since probably high school or even junior high, oh, develop that essay, develop the theme, freedom is good. And we just like, how do you develop it? What do? No one tells you how. But if you say to them, give it texture, give me some details, Show me a picture. That's developing it, but it gives instruction on how to do it. Then people Mm -hmm. respond and get excited. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was in school, in public school, um, no teacher ever told me how to write. They just said, write an essay. Well, but I I didn't know how. And um, I needed those kind of words. Give me details. I didn't know you could put details in something. (laughs) Oh, well. And also, to me, it makes it more real. It makes it more, you talk about writing from the body. 
and when you say to develop something, that's very abstract. It's very of the mind. And then when you say add texture, detail, color, we're, we're dropping into the body. And it, exactly. Um, and that's where writing comes from. It doesn't yeah. come from our mental thoughts. Well, I have a question. What is next for you? Have you begun another project? I just finished another project. <laughs> really? I, um, yes. I uh, I don't know if you know, in 1997, I came out with a book called Living Color, which was uh, about a writer paints her world. I've painted for as long as I've written, and it had 60 paintings in it. Well, it went out of print about a year. Anthem, which published it, has is now defunct, and um, Bantam no longer exists. So after they sold 22,000 copies, they stopped printing it. And Abrams, which is a wonderful art publisher, just bought it, and we're completely redoing it. And I added a lot of other chapters, and I also added exercises and new paintings. So if you don't want to write... You can use those same rules and paint. So um, I've been working very hard on it, and I just finished it. Because people don't realize the true secret of writing, um, when it gets published, it takes at least a year before it comes out. So I finished the actual book about a year ago. So I just finished a book, and it's now called Leaping into Joy, and it'll probably be out in about a year a year and a half. Oh, fantastic. And I'm glad you said what you did about applying those same concepts to painting because that's one of the other things I really loved about the book and about the retreats is that you make it clear that a practice can really be a lot of things. I mean, once you brought it out of the realm of of just being about meditation and into the world of writing, now you've brought it into all these other aspects of life. And, and you talk about a student who does it with swimming, um, you're doing it with painting. And um, I wanted to ask you what your current practice is. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I want to just point out in the book also there is a student who wrote a haiku a day for a year as mm. her practice. And another student who wrote a letter, like I think five letters a week for a practice. Um, My current practice is actually very, very mundane. I sit in the morning for a half hour every morning. (laughs) You know, I've come back to the It's very mundane, sort of mundane, kind of simple. I do that and... um, I've been walking a lot. Okay. It's not quite a practice walking because I'm trying to improve. <laughs> I'm trying to get faster. But um, I sit every morning. Okay, great. And I don't really think that's mundane at all. And anyone who oh, good. Knows, Thank you. We know that's not. It's, it's well, very students, You know, in the book I have such exotic practices that people have thought of. That you know, like swimming in the bay and doing things like that. That sitting is seems so ordinary, but it's a good thing. Sitting is the hardest. It's the hardest yeah. one. It really yeah, is. Sitting so and being austere. quiet. Yes, it's so austere. 
Yeah. Well, we have a chat room also, and someone in the chat room is asking what your daily writing practice is. Oh, I don't have a daily writing practice. Okay. I've been writing for 35 years. And, you know, if you had one daily practice forever with writing, I think it would get – I'd try to keep it alive. And um, it, it changes now all the time. But in my early – I'd say the first 10 years, I really tried to write every day, probably from 9 to 1. I was really exploring writing. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, that's yeah. really serious. I'm afraid I really take things on. <laughs> you what? I really take things on. Oh, yeah. There's also a chapter, I'll answer a little further, too. There's a chapter in the book called The Long Chapter on a Short Practice where I went for a week, I had a writing practice. I'd go every day at noon to the same cafe and write every all the dialogue I heard for a half hour, just write it down madly. And that was fascinating. I when I was reading that I actually wrote out in the margin, I can't quit reading this. I was just it was almost like eavesdropping. <laughs> I know, wasn't that ridiculous? Because when I did it, it seemed completely ridiculous. And even now if I open it up and read those people's you know, the conversations, I'm fascinated. I learned a lot from doing that. Oh, yeah, and also I like what you said. You learned about your own mind, too, which was that you were tr trying not to assess what you were hearing, and, and the mind just does that. It's almost impossible to stop it, really. Yeah, yeah. On a level. Mm -hmm. So, um well, I just want to mention, I mentioned this in the introduction, but for anybody who's come in late, that this book, The True Secret of Writing, is actually coming out tomorrow, <laughs> which is very exciting. And I know you can go and actually pre-order today if you want, and it'll send out tomorrow. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. But I think some bookstores have cheated and put it out early, which is actually wonderful. A bookstore near me I walked in, and there it was this weekend, and I was so excited. So <laughs> it might be in your bookstore now, but I oh, don't know. Great. great. Okay, so if it's if it's not there now, it'll be there tomorrow. You can already start ordering it from Amazon, I know. Uh, a lot of people have done that, told me about it. And also you're going on tour in just a couple of yes, days. Yes, I'm going on tour um Actually, uh, Wednesday, I begin in Albuquerque, then I go to Tempe, and then I have a whole tour, which is on my website, nataliegoldberg.com. I have the whole tour listed, where, what time, and everything. Okay, perfect. So that's nataliegoldberg.com. So anybody oh, and I might say I'm very proud. I have a really new, beautiful website. I don't really like the Internet that much, but... <laughs> this um, website, a friend worked on it for a year, and not, I think, because she was doing other things. It's so sweet. It really is. It has lots of my paintings and everything. Well, I have to concur. I was just looking at it earlier, and it is beautiful. And um, there are also a lot of really nice pictures of you that Kevin took. So yeah, yeah, the people that Kevin... M Mule, who ha comes to every August retreat, 
um, took, and we've put them up, and it's really fun to have them there. Great. Well, um, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful, generous book, and it's been such an honor to get to talk with you about it. And um, I I hope to see you very soon. <laughs> uh, Melissa, I have to tell you, this is so much fun to talk to you. Because, you know, sometimes with the interviews, people haven't read the book or, you know, you, I mean, you've not only read the book, you've studied with me. I feel like we're having a conversation with an old friend. I know. So, it feels the same way to me. <laughs> and it's it's so much fun. And it's really fun for me to share the book with you. And you help me to remember what the book's about. You know, because oh, sometimes wow. it's right, you don't know. So you're actually helping me for going on book tour. Oh, thank you so much for telling me that. It's just great, absolutely great to hear that. It just makes me feel all happy. (laughs) Oh, good, good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, really, that's just so nice of you to tell me. And I know what you're talking about, too, how you kind of have to get your thoughts together and remember what you wrote because, as you said, it's been a year. Yeah, yeah. Finished it, right? So, wonderful. Well, it's just been such a pleasure. And when the next book comes out, then I'd love to talk to you again. And and I hope to see you at a retreat really, really soon. Okay, great. And, you know, is it, are we still on the blog, on the, on the thing? We are. Do you want to go? Call you? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay, great. Goodbye, everybody. Okay, goodbye. (laughs) Bye.